Hi, I'm Rami. And I'm Shannon. And this is Workplace Hugs, where we talk about interesting things we've read or heard to help all of us expand our life toolkit with a whole bunch of empathy, but without a whole new degree. Rami, what are we talking about this week? Okay, Shannon, first of all, this is our 200th episode. What? Which is exciting. Uh, I should call it like there and back again, which is a good reference to what we're going to be talking about. Okay. But we're going to be talking about a book called Anything You Can Imagine, Ooh. which is a book about Peter Jackson. So we're going to talk about Lord of the Rings. And actually, we're talking um, Lord of the Rings, and I'm pumped about that. And we will also talk about Lord of the Rings in a few weeks again. Okay. So all right, you guys. All of our Tolkien, Tolkien heads, Tolkien, Lord of the Ringsers. I, I r- know ringers, absolutely ringers, nothing. Our Frodo's, our Hobbitses. Get excited, everyone. Yeah, I know absolutely positively nothing about Lord of the Rings. So I'm going to be like, of see zero the movies. Help. Have not seen the movies. Like the movies came the out books. and you're like. No, I don't. I don't want to be a part of this cultural nope. phenomenon. Nope, sure don't. I'm just fantastic. Yeah, so please enlighten us. Okay, so I read this book. It was fascinating. It was called Anything You Can Imagine uh, by Ian Nathan. So the subtitle is Peter Jackson and the Making of Middle Earth. Uh, it was fascinating. It was about how Peter Jackson. He was. He's from uh, New Zealand. He brought the epic fantasy novels to life on the big screen. Um, People have always been very impressed with what he was able to do because of how true to the book it was. When you get into very beloved things, Shannon, it's very easy for fans of that beloved thing to hate a adaptation of it Mm. and have lots of issues like if you talk to people who really like Harry Potter about the movies, they'd be like, oh, this part doesn't make sense. And I don't know why they got rid of this. And Goblet of Fire, it's the longest book and it's the shortest movie. Like, what's the deal? Uh, so, like, there was a lot of trepidation, I think, from the fan base about this, especially seeing the movies that he had made before, which were uh, Bad Taste, Meet the Feebles, Brain Dead, Heavenly Creatures, and The Frighteners. Didn't really set anybody up to be like, this guy can make a very accurate uh, version of these books. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the book covers the entire journey of Jackson and his team from the early days of dreaming, pitching, challenges, triumphs, uh, and then Oscars. So it's kind of cool because they got to interview him and everybody involved. So it's like a very, it's a very fascinating um, version of the story and like goes into all the depth of, of things where you're like, I don't know how people remember these things. Like I say this every time we talk about a biography Uh or a like, or a book that's about a specific, very tiny period of time. Yes. That like, it always fascinates me how well documented some things are or how well remembered some things are. Speaking of how poorly I remember things or we sometimes remember things. Can you just remind me for frame of reference, what was the time frame of all this? Like what decades was this? When was this happening? Um, like loosely. 2001, 2002, 2003. Okay. Okay. So early 2000s was when this was all going down. Okay. Yeah. Because I vaguely remember it, but I don't, 
I don't remember it. Anyways, continue on. I just wanted to um, put that in my contextual mind. Okay, so the interesting thing with this book is it talks about him coming up as a filmmaker. So the first like three movies he made, Bad Taste, Meet the People's Brain Dead, were all like basically made for no money, but like he really stretched what he could do for the no money. Um and then he made like a very like those are all like kind of horror comedies. Um like grotesque horror comedies. And then he made a movie called Heavenly Creatures, which is about two girls who uh, it's based on a true story. Two girls who end up like creating their own world and then killing someone. It's uh-huh. like a very dark story, but like it's a story that's haunted New Zealand for a long time because it is like a true thing oh. that happened to these two girls in high school. Um, but he made that movie and it was like very delicate and dramatic. Uh, it's the first movie I think Kate um, Winslet is in. Oh, uh, Um, and so that was like a very different film. And then that film plus having made those other ones got him the Frighteners, which is a Michael J. Fox movie about him being able to see ghosts. That was like a huge budget movie that just like did not succeed. It's a very good movie. It just like lots of things caused it from succeeding. Um, but after that he wanted to do Lord of the Rings. And so Lord of the Rings was initially going to be two movies. It's three books. It's four books. There's The Hobbit, which is like a prequel to the three. But um, it was three books, and they were like, nobody's going to give us the money to make three movies. So, like, let's make two movies. Uh, and so they continued to pitch it, and, like, nobody wanted to do it. And finally they got a, like, someone who was equally in love with uh, the books. And they were like, no, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. So we're going to do three And they shot them concurrently, which had happened like a few times in history. But it was basically like, oh, we're going to give you 80 million a movie. So you get 200, your budget's 200 or whatever. Um, And you're going to shoot all three back to back to back. Because he was like, the only way to do all three is if we do them at the same time. And can be shooting people at different places, doing different things. Um, And so it was like a huge, epic undertaking that... As soon as the first one got released, they ended up making so much money that they gave them more time and money for the second and third one because it like was a cultural phenomenon um, yeah. and validated what they were doing. And so and they won Oscars, they won all the Oscars. So I want to talk about three things that really stood out for me that I think can be very applicable to our own uh, work or personal lives. Um So let's talk about the first one. The first one is keep the source material, whether it is a book or people at the heart of what you do. So this one obviously had books. Viggo Mortensen, who plays one of the main characters, Aragorn. Uh, Christopher Lee, who plays one of the villains, Saruman, uh, kept the books close and um, would like challenge Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh, who are the writers. Uh, Peter Jackson... Fran Walsh and Philippa Boyens were like the three writers. Uh, Like they would always be challenging them to make sure that they were being truthful to the books. Mm. Like they literally kept the books with them all the time. And Christopher Lee was like, he's a, he was very old at this point. He actually knew J.R.R. Tolkien 
And so people would always like want to hear stories about J.R.R. Tolkien from him. And so he took a different level of expertise of like, I know the dude and I like am obsessed with these books. And so like, we're not going to futz. Like there's no, there's no like not doing a service to these. Like we can't not get these right. Um, But they said that Vigo like had a paperback copy like on him at all times. And he was constantly like reading and taking it in and making sure that like what they were doing, it was like validating it. Um, but when they went to write the scripts, right. When they were going to write the two, they knew that they needed a like hyper passionate, like Tolkien nerd to write with them. So Peter Jackson and his wife, Fran Walsh, who like had made all the other movies together, found Philippa Boyens who's like a super Tolkien nerd to like help them (laughs) write it. But also like you can't put everything that's on the page on the screen. And so things have to come out. You have to like extend some things to like build up the drama and like all those pieces. And so having her there helped them one, make sure that they were doing it right. And that like canonically, they wouldn't like miss something that like was super important later Um, Mm. but also if they're going to take something out, like make sure that it didn't mean something later, but Mm. then also in the few, they expand in a few minor places. Um, like they expand the role of Liv Tyler who plays Arwen, um, which is not in the books that they would do it in a way that would still feel natural for the books and like, wouldn't make everybody upset. Yeah, I've read very few books that have been turned into movies, but I'm reading one right now that is releasing in like literally a week or two. And I, I'm often curious about that. Like, how do they decide what can go and what stays? I have no idea. I think you just got to hope that you're making good decisions. I remember when I was yeah. little and I had read Matilda and then the movie came out. I was like, this movie stinks. Like, it's missing yeah, all of my way. favorite parts of the book. Yeah, I felt the same way. See, Matilda. Danny DeVito did not get it right. Damn it. Danny DeVito. Ugh. Um, He directed Matilda, Shannon. No, like, I knew he was associated with it. it was, didn't he? He's, did he not he's act a step, it too? Yeah, he's a step. He's sort of, yeah, I was like, wasn't he? Yeah. No, but he also directed okay. it, which is weird. Okay. Uh, so... Keeping the source material, I think, is important. It's something that I talk a lot about when we talk about design thinking is, like, keeping the people at the heart of um, what you do. And so, like, my work example would be, like, okay, if you're building a process for someone, talk to them at the beginning. Understand what they want. Talk to them in the middle as you're building out the process and getting their feedback. And, like, talk to them throughout the entire thing because if you're building a process that you want other people to manage – and they don't get their needs addressed, they're not going to want to deal with your process. So, like, you'd got to keep them in mind as you're doing things. Rami, have we still not had you do an episode on design thinking? You know, we've only had 200 episodes, <laughs> so we haven't really just, just scratched like, the surface of things. Not How have we not? I know I've brought this up to you before, and I'm going to bring it up again. I really think we should do an episode on it. Yes, um, and you're distracting from yes. our current topic, Shannon. Okay. <laughs> okay. Which is also a design thinking uh, uh, tenant, which is using yes and. 
Yeah, I love the... I love this thread, though, of keeping the source material close and seeing people as an example of source material. And it makes me think about the conversation that we were having right before we started podcasting. Um, I think like how this shows up for me in my life is is in coaching more generally. So keeping the source material, I would say, is like, can can you remember that you're still coaching like human beings Mm -hmm. You know, and there's an element of service in that. Like, how can you be of service instead of making it about you? I think I see people sometimes who get into this industry because they think it's like a way to make more money, you know, like I'm going to be an entrepreneur or a way to, excuse me, tell people what to do. And I'm like, that's that's actually not what it is. And this is coming up for me a lot lately. I've been up for recredentialing this year for coaching. And so it's like, it's like continuing education credits Mm -hmm. for anybody who's in a field that has to do that. And you're going back to source material of like, Oh yeah, what is best practice on ethical situations and different things that come up. And honestly, at first I thought like recredentialing is such a joke. Like this is just a way for them to make more money off of this membership. But I'm like, Oh no shit. It's, it's keeping the source material at the heart of like what we're doing and making sure that there is standards in the field a little bit to help us make sure that we're sticking true to like the heart of what we're trying to do and the heart of how we do it well and I, so I, those are two examples that come to mind i like what you're saying too because it's almost like if we keep those if we keep the source material whether it's people books whatever it is i think it also can help re-energize you around the thing that you're working on like what you were saying yes. is like oh i was going back to these things and remembering these things that i like had forgotten about and so like now i'm excited to leverage those again where i may have forgotten uh to do that yes yes this is such like a little example and i'm almost embarrassed to say it but i think those make them more effective sometimes uh i'm i have clients signing contracts all the time right you know it's just like new client okay sign here's the contract here's the contract i cannot tell you the last time i read my own goddamn contract and in there, we talk about like, what's your, what's my role as coach? What's their role as client? And I said to my coach supervisor recently, like, I now have what is my role as coach, like, bulleted by my desk again to remind mm-hmm. myself. This may sound so silly, but it's like, you forget sometimes, oh, part of my role of coach is. I've committed in a contract to saying I'm committed to challenging you sometimes. I'm committed to giving you feedback. Most of coaching, yes, is asking thought-provoking questions that help people come to their own solutions, but that's not all of it. So, yeah, I digress. But a little example of where it's been really helpful to, like, remember source material. Well, and I like that because it's almost like how do we continue to bring ourselves back to our North Star of, like, why we're doing things? And I think that's part of what it yes. was for them with the book. It was like, we're doing this because we all have a passion about this book and we want to do it justice. And so it's like, you want to be a coach and like, these are what it, these are the things that it means to you to be a good coach. And so like having that there every day to remind you, I think is the thing. Yes. I love it. Okay. Let's go on to the next one. Um, you can always build a bridge or a road. Don't let the roadblocks stop you. So this is a literal uh, example in that when they were scouting locations, they found a few that were incredible, but 
to build sets and to get the crew there, they literally had to build roads. So they worked with the New Zealand government to build roads to some of these remote places so that the, uh, and it was like, some of it was like actually building new roads. Some of it was like, Oh, we need to like re we need to just like add more structure to some of these roads because like a big truck can't drive on it right now. Like you could drive like a little car or something. Mm. Um, which is exam- which is really a literal example of removing a roadblock or a lack of road, building a road. <laughs> uh, but it, it kind of opened my eyes to think about like, oh, when you have roadblocks that seem impossible, like we got there in a helicopter. How do we get there by land? I don't know. Maybe we have to literally build a road to get there. Um to me, is like, how do you think outside the box when you're trying to solve a problem that doesn't seem to have a solution? Sometimes the solution is a very simple solution, and it is to build a road. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, I love this because it's a metaphor that we use so much, but I love that it's a literal example of when you had to build the road or the bridge. And what comes to mind is... Um, you know, obviously like I'm, I'm a coach, I specialize in transitions and how much people can just be in a place where they're like, but I just want to mm-hmm. be there already. And you forget. <laughs> this sounds, it's profound in my head, but I think it's actually pretty simple. You forget that sometimes you literally need to build a freaking road. Like you don't just get there. I'm sorry. I wish there was a helicopter way that I could just, but even then it's going to take 20 minutes, you know, for you to get from point A to point B, there's still time there. So how do we be patient with ourselves and remember that? Yeah. Sometimes we got to build roads to get there. And sometimes we're not always sure how that process is going to go down. Mm -hmm. You know, you might need to get out the dynamite and blow your way through a mountain at some points. You might need to go around. You might have a detour because you just can't find a way to move through this road. So the metaphor continues. Okay, the last one um, is delegate where it makes sense and trust your collaborators. So when the three of them were writing it, they were like, okay, we're really going to be separate in what pieces we own because we all excel at various things. So Peter Jackson, he was like, I want to focus on action in the visuals. Like that's where I need to focus because I'm the one who's going to take this from the page to the screen. So like I need to focus on action and visuals. Fran, you're going to focus on story and dialogue. And then Philippa Boyens was characters and staying true to Tolkien, right? So they were like, oh, do we do we get rid of Tom Bombadil or do we keep him in? And they have like a really big piece. He's like a character that is very fun, but like you could cut him out of the first book and there's like a quarter of the book that's like devoted to this excursion with, uh, with Tom Bombadil that's very fun, but like doesn't serve the purpose of where they need to go. And so she struggled a lot with needing to cut that out because of how much she enjoyed it. But the fact that it like did a disservice to the entire story, like it had to come out, but that was her job was really making sure they were staying true to Tolkien and the characters and the book. Um, And so this makes me think about like just delegating where it makes sense and like really trusting your collaborators 
and knowing that like you all have different skill sets mm. and to really allow people to leverage their skill sets is what's going to go from like a okay project or okay thing to like something that could be amazing. Mm. Okay, so there are two things this is triggering in me. Uh, one is this damn TV show on Netflix. It's an old TV show at this point, but it was called The Dance 100. Have you no. heard of this TV show? <laughs> okay, so it's long story short, there's a bunch of choreographers who are using dancers to like, you know, choreograph a dance or whatever. And then the dancers vote for who they think the best choreographer was, you know, like even the ones that they worked with. Anyways, there was this one choreographer that I thought, shit, her approach is a freaking workplace hugs episode because of how thoughtful she was about taking the time to go look up all of her dancers on Instagram to understand what their strengths were and then appropriately delegate different parts to them based on their skills you know like oh this one's so gifted in ballet they need to be in this scene oh this one's so gifted at hip-hop they need to be over here doing this thing and it was just unsurprisingly she won the whole show sorry if i'm wrecking it for you what was her name brandy chun i just looked it up uh i just think it's such a great example of this you know how do we delegate and trust our collaborators she trusted them to execute the vision but she took time to really understand them the other thing that it makes me think about and this is gonna maybe make me cry we'll see um it makes me think about my dad my dad passed away this past year and everybody said he was a risk taker his whole life you know they're like oh yeah john Chatler, he was such a risk taker you know and that's why he did like such big things or good things in his business and after he passed this is maybe a little woo woo after he passed, I was doing a meditation and he kind of, he kind of came to me in the meditation and he said, Shannon, I wasn't a risk taker. I was a trust giver. He trusted people, you know, like he trusted the people mm-hmm. he was collaborating with every day. Interesting on the outside that people perceived that as him taking risks, not to trust people, just yeah. like, like, you know, he'd do, he'd make big bets in his farming business over the years. And it was like, no, he trusted people and he mm-hmm. reaped the benefits of people who trusted him. So that has been such a powerful reframe for me to think about and to offer to my clients anytime that they're scared to delegate or struggling. It's like, okay, let's not see this as taking a risk. Let's see this as where, where can we give trust and end trust people to do the things uh, that they're gifting incredibly at. beautiful shannon um i like that pivot instead of delegating risk it's extending trust i really like that mm-hmm. instead yeah. of yeah delegation of taking, a risk, as taking a risk yeah it's you're giving I really trust like that i really no, like taking that. risk you're giving trust uh i had more examples but i'm not going to top that so um i would just say like think about <laughs> In all aspects of your life, I'll give my examples. I think in all aspects of your life, like how do you delegate and trust and extend trust? I think we just had my birthday and we had like lots and lots of moving pieces. And it was like, okay, my brother's going to do this piece. My sister's going to do this piece. And it was like, I'm just going to trust that everything's going to work out. And they're going to like own those pieces because that's like in their wheelhouse and what they excel at. And it all went great, right? And so it's like... You can do it in personal things. And I think about work, too. It's like, I know that this person is really good at this thing. Like, I'm going to delegate more to them and extend more trust to them 
I'm not extending more risk. I'm like extending more trust and letting them kind of run with things. And I think across all aspects of our life, I think there's places where we can do more of that, which is only going to strengthen mm-hmm. our relationships with people and um, allow us to have more trust in others. And hopefully they have more trust in us uh, as a reciprocal piece there. But yes, can't top can't top what uh, John Schottler taught us. Yeah. So um, we'll bring it back to the top here, mm-hmm. which is uh, let's bring it on home. So anything you can imagine, Peter Jackson making of The Lord of the Rings. If you find The Lord of the Rings fascinating, definitely check out the book. Uh, our three takeaways are keep the source material, whether that is a book or person or um, a, a drive for you at the heart of what you do. You can always build a bridge or a road. Don't let the roadblock stop you, whether that is literal roads or figurative roads. And then delegate where it makes sense and have good collaborators you can trust. And look to extend more trust in your life. With that, we'd, we'd love for you to connect with us on social media, on Instagram or LinkedIn. And what do we want them to share? I want to know where you... Uh, now that we it was our last piece, I want to know where you guys extended trust and it was validated. Mm, love that. Good appreciative inquiry. Focus on where it's working, where trust is a good thing. All right. With that, I've been Shannon. I've been Rami. And this has been Workplace Hugs. Workplace Hugs.